All right, so this is our last uh, session. If you, did anybody get index cards this morning? If you didn't get index cards, um, And if you, have, if you have questions that have come up during while Marcus was talking, if you have questions that come up here in the next few minutes while I'm uh, talking, you can drop those down and, and, uh, and then we'll pass the basket around um, toward the end and, and we'll have some questions. Hopefully we'll have some time left for, for questions. All right. So, so here's the question we want to answer right now in this next session um, is basically what does the Bible say about itself, right? What do we believe about the Bible? Um, our doctrine of the Bible, what we believe the Bible is. We've talked a lot about kind of the history of how the Bible came about, um, and y'all might have some other questions about that that didn't get addressed last night, and we can do that uh, this afternoon or, or after, after this session. Um, Marcus has talked about how we, how, we have, uh, how we know that the words we have in our English Bibles are the words that, that Paul wrote or James wrote or John wrote or whoever through text criticism. And so now we want to look at what the Bible actually says, okay? And so if the Bible is... Uh, if these are the words that Paul wrote, these are the words that James wrote, Peter wrote, if this, these are the 66 books that God wanted us to have in our Bibles, those kind of things, well, so now we're going to look and see, well, what did they say about the Bible? What did Paul say? What did Peter say? What did James say? What did John say? What did the Old Testament writer say? And, and what does the Bible say about itself? Okay? And so uh, there's a lot of things here that, that we're going to cover and go through, and so let's just get started. The first thing that we believe about the Bible is that the Bible is our authority. Okay, so the authority of God's word, the authority of God's word, meaning that it is uh, what we base everything else on, okay? And so first of all, uh, one way that, that, that we know the Bible is our authority is because we know that the God who exists has, has spoken, okay? God hasn't left us just to kind of figure him out on our own. Um, God hasn't left us to try to discover what he's like or to kind of come up with our, in, in ourselves and kind of study the, the inner godness of ourselves and those kind of things and kind of put together a, a picture of what God is. God has spoken and has told, him about, told us about him, himself, okay? And so in, uh, we're not going to look up all these passages just for the sake of time, but we are going to look at, at some of them. And if you have your Bibles there, open up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, actually not Romans chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll come back and read Romans 1 later anyway. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 27 says this. It says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the Bible tells us, Paul tells us when he's writing to this church in Colossae that God has chosen to make his glory known uh, among the among his people, God's chosen to do that. Okay, in Romans one that, that we didn't read talks about how God has shown Himself uh, to us. He's revealed Himself to His creatures. And so, how do you do that? Well, the first way, number one, He does this in creation. God reveals some things about Himself. He, he tells us about Himself in 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 creation. Um, and so, Romans chapter one verse twenty says that in the creation, God has been clearly seen. God created the world. He showed us some things about himself. Romans chapter 120 says that he is clearly seen in creation itself. Okay? Um, Psalm 19, the first two verses there in Psalm 19 says that, that if we look at the creation, it says the heavens above declare the glory of God. Right? The creation of, uh, of the earth displays God's, the, the work of God's hands. And so we know that, that God exists from creation. 
Secondly, God has revealed himself to us in, in Jesus. Okay, so turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're studying Hebrews on, in the men's and women's Bible studies, and I'm sure they have uh, spent lots of time on, on, on this opening passage. In fact, I know we did because I was there the day that we did it. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Long ago and at many times and many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay? So, so we know that God, we, we know who God is. God has re- revealed himself in creation. He's also revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus is, is the exact imprint of who God is. We want to know what God uh, thinks about something? We can look to Jesus. We want to know how God responds to certain things? Look to how God responded, how Jesus responded to certain things. We want to know um, what, what, um, how God would, um, I've already said that, but how God would react to something? We look, we look to Jesus, right? The, the way that Jesus lived in the New Testament and also the things that Jesus taught in the New Testament reveal God to us, Okay. The third way that God has revealed himself to us, though, is in Scripture, okay? So we know some things about God from creation. God has revealed himself to us directly through Jesus. And, and then the third way is God has revealed himself to us in, in Scripture, okay? And, and even the way that we know about Jesus for us is through Scripture, right? Because none of us were alive uh, when Jesus was on earth walking before his crucifixion. And so there may be some people that God has revealed himself to through Jesus directly, like the apostles, but even for us, when God reveals himself through Jesus, it's, it's indirectly, in a sense, through the scriptures that are written about Jesus. Okay? So God, God reveals himself. Um, he has spoken to us in creation, in Jesus, and in scripture. So if God has spoken to us in scripture, then that means that the words of scripture are God's words. Okay? The words of scripture are God's words. And, and we can look at several passages that, that show this. The, the one way we know this is is uh, there's several passages and several places throughout the Bible where it clearly says, thus says the Lord, right? Thus says the Lord. So that's your, your blank there, number one, under the words of Scripture or God's words. Thus says the Lord. So if we were to look up these passages, again, for the sake of time, we're not going to right now, but if we were to look up Exodus 4.22, Moses is writing in Exodus, so it's Moses writing it, but Moses says, thus says the Lord, right? And then writes down what the Lord said. Joshua 24.2, 1 Samuel 10.18, Isaiah 10.24, and there are other, uh, other examples of that as well. But, but one way we know that the words of Scripture are God's words is because he, it tells us that this is God speaking, right? Thus says the Lord. Uh, the, the, the second blank there is, is in the New Testament. There's some things in the New Testament, there's places where, where God, he doesn't use the same phrase, thus says the Lord, but he, but he basically tells us the same thing, right? So let's look at a, at a couple of these. Let's look at, um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and uh, verse 37. It says this. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet, if anyone thinks that he is spiritual, then he should acknowledge that what I'm writing is God's very word, right? So Paul was aware himself. He believed himself that when he was writing these letters, he was writing out what God had told him to write. And, and he also expected that the church leaders and church members and, 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 and other believers would, would receive his letters that way, would receive his words that way. 
So Paul himself claims that, um, that when he's writing, these things that I'm writing you are the commands of the Lord. Look over to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at this passage a few times um, in, in the next few minutes. This is a, a really key passage, I think. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16. He says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. And then he says, As he does in all his letters, when he speaks of them, when he speaks in them of these matters. And then listen to this. He says, There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Okay, so that should be comforting to us. There's some things in Paul's letters that are hard for me to understand and probably hard for you to understand. And Peter says there's some things in Paul's letters that are hard for him to understand, right? Peter says there's some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. And then he says this, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay? So see what, see what Peter's doing. Peter's taking Paul's letters and putting them in the same category as other writings that are scripture, right? They twist Paul's letters just like they do the other scriptures. Okay? He could have said they twist Paul's letters just like they do the scriptures. But he doesn't. He says just like they do the other scriptures, right? And so that, that's taking Paul's letters and including them in the category of scripture. So Paul thought he was writing scripture. Peter thought that Paul was writing uh, scripture. And then let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is a really, really neat passage, too. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Again, this is Paul writing to uh, Timothy at the church in Ephesus. And he says this in chapter 5, verse 18. He says, for the scripture says, okay, for the scripture says, and then he quotes in quotation marks, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Okay, so see that? Paul, Paul says, here's what the scripture says. Quote, do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, quote, the laborer is worth his wages. Here's the interesting thing. The, the, the part of that, the half of that, the first quote of that where it says um, the, the uh, ox is, or do not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, you know where that comes from? It comes from Deuteronomy. It comes from Deuteronomy. It comes from the Old Testament, right? That's scripture. We know that scripture because it comes from the Old Testament. It was already settled scripture. We talked about that last night. And so for the, the New Testament writers, that, that was scripture. The second part of that, though, the second quote where it says the labor is worth his wages... In your Bibles, that might be in red letters because Jesus spoke that and he's quoting that from the Gospel of Luke. So here, Paul's quoting from the Gospel of Luke and calls it Scripture and, and quotes it side by side with the Old Testament, with Deuteronomy, and puts them both in the same category as Scripture. See that? Okay? So the words of Scripture are God's words. We know the Old Testament's that way. It was, it was, it was um, already settled. It was already um, acknowledged that way and, and, and accepted that way, even in New Testament times when Jesus was, was teaching and preaching and quoting from it. But the New Testament also has that same, um, that same authority, and, and even at the time of it being written, it had that same authority. Paul recognized and realized that he was writing the commands of God. Peter recognized that Paul's letters were Scripture. Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke and says, this is Scripture. Right, and we and, and we know that he's quoting the Gospel of Luke here. He's not quoting Jesus himself directly, right? He could be doing that because Paul could have. You know, remember, there's that there's that that kind of mysterious time where Paul was directly with Jesus and being taught, and so Jesus could have taught them this directly. So he could be quoting Jesus there, but he says this is what the Scripture says, right? He doesn't say this is what Jesus said. He said this is what the Scriptures says, and so we know that he's quoting Luke and calling it 
Scripture. So the words of Scripture are, are God's words. Um, we also know that the words of Scripture are inspired. Okay, the words of Scripture are in, inspired. So 2 Timothy 3.16, we're familiar with that passage, and it says that, that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Right, all scripture is breathed out by God, or all scripture is inspired by God, and and it's useful for all these different things. Okay, well, how did God inspire the the Bible writers? How did God inspire the um, the scriptures? Well, He did it in a few ways. One way that God inspired the scriptures was through direct speech, through direct speech. So there are passages like Revelation two one, Revelation two eight, Revelation twelve. You know, those are the the letters in the early part of Revelation, the letters to the churches. And remember, Jesus is there talking to John. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. And John writes down what Jesus says, right? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. And John writes down what, what Jesus says. And so there's some, there's some places in the Bible where, where God's inspiring scripture and he does it through direct speech, through almost like dictation, where he's saying, write this down, and they, and they write this down. Um, uh, another example of this is the Exodus chapter 4. This is what uh, we mentioned before. This is not, not dictation, but it's, but it's direct speech where it says, thus says the Lord, right? Moses says, thus says the Lord. And so there are parts of Scripture, not all of Scripture, but there are parts of Scripture where the biblical writer is, as it were, basically writing down or, or, or even dictating what the Lord Jesus or God is saying to them, okay? Not all of Scripture is that way, but some Scripture is that way. Um, another way that God inspired the, the biblical writers, the second way, was through the writer's own interviews and, and research. And we talked about this some last, last uh, night as well. In, in Luke chapter 1, Luke says that, that as other people had written gospels, he thought it was a good idea for him to write one. And it says that, that he went out and, and investigated this way. Okay? So, so interviews, writer's own interviews and, and research in the, in the book of Acts. We talked about this last night as well. In the book of Acts, Luke was often traveling with Paul. And, and he got information that way from, from Paul. And so God inspires the, the scriptures through direct speech. He also inspires the, the scriptures through um, writer's own interviews and, and research. And then a third way that God inspires the, the, scripture, the, the biblical writers, scripture writers, was, was number three, through the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit would bring Jesus' teachings to mind. I don't know if you remember the, this passage in John chapter 14, but in John chapter 14, Jesus tells the disciples that, uh, that the Holy Spirit would bring his teachings to remembrance uh, of them, okay? And so John 14, 26 says, uh, says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so as the biblical writers were addressing different issues in different churches, as they were writing different, uh, different things uh, that for the different believers, the Holy Spirit was working in their, in their minds, working through them as they were um, remembering the things that Jesus had taught them. Okay, so God inspired his, his word. He inspired it through, uh, through direct speech. He inspired it through the, the, the writers on, on research and, and, and interviews and those kind of things. And, and then he, he, he inspired it through the Holy Spirit, bringing to mind what he wanted people to say. Okay, so, so at this point, uh, the, the words of Scripture are... Are, are God's words, and, and, and we can be sure of a couple of things at this point. We can be sure that the, the, the words of Scripture are, um, when, I, when I said that, the, that, that God sometimes dictated what they would say, it, it's not a mechanical type process, right? It's not a, it's not a machine type process where God is, is, is using, you know, sometimes we say that, that the Holy Spirit's the author and the human writer was the pen. And there's, there's some truth to that. It gets across that the Holy Spirit was writing through men, 
right? But, but the, the people were involved too, okay? So we can be sure that, that when, we, when we pick up a, a book of Ephesians or John or whatever, we can be sure that what's written there is what the writer wanted to be there, right? So when we read the book of Ephesians, those words are what Paul wanted to write, okay? Those words are what Paul wanted to, to write. And, and we can even discover different, different things about different biblical writers, right? Not every biblical writer wrote the same way. Different, each writer had their own style, their own background, their own way that they wrote, their own vocabulary that they used, right? When, and one of, the, one, of the, um, one, of the, one of my favorite ways of, of kind of illustrating this is, is think about the word flesh, okay? So John, the, the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, wrote uh, Revelation, and, and, and he said that the Word became flesh, right? In the beginning of, uh, of his Gospel, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what does that mean when he says the Word became flesh? It meant that Jesus became a man, right? The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became a human being in the person of Jesus, right? Does Paul believe that the second person of the Trinity, the, the, the Son of God, became a human in the person of Jesus? Absolutely, right? Would Paul ever say that the Word became flesh? He didn't, right? That's a good answer. He, he didn't. But would Paul have, have used that phrase, the Word became flesh? Okay, I would say he probably would not have used the phrase the word became flesh. And the reason is because think about how, how Paul used the word flesh, right? When Paul's talking about the flesh, what does he mean? He talks about walking by the spirit, not by the flesh, right? When, when Paul uses the word flesh, he, he, he's using that as a vocabulary word to, to get across our fallenness, our sinfulness, those kind of things. Where when John uses the word flesh, he, he's trying to get across the, the humanity of Jesus, right? Now, Paul and John believed the same thing. But their writing styles were different, and their, their vocabulary was different. And, and, and so the, the Holy Spirit's using them to write scriptures, but that doesn't mean that, that, that they go into a trance and they're just, you know, writing down word, word for word what the, what, without their own personalities being part of it, okay? So we can be sure that, that what they wrote was exactly what, what the writers wanted to write, and we can also be sure that the words of scripture are the exact words that God wanted to be recorded. Both of those things are true, Okay? Both those things are true. The words are, the, are the, the, the human author's words, and it's also God's words, the, the Holy Spirit's words. Okay, so the words of Scripture are, are God's word, are, are, uh, the words of Scripture are inspired, and then the, the next point here is the words of Scripture are truth. The words of Scripture are truth. And remember, we're still talking about authority, about the Bible being our authority. It is our authority because it's God speaking to us. It's, it is our authority because it's inspired by God. And, and it's our authority because the words of Scripture themselves are, are truth. Okay? So remember in, in John chapter 17, this is the passage where Jesus is praying. It's, it's sometimes called the, the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying for, on behalf of his, of his uh, disciples. He's about to go and be killed. So he prays the Holy Spirit and, and, that, and that God would, uh, would, uh, would come to them after he dies and would lead them into truth and these kind of things. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, he prays to God the Father he says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And so another reason that the Bible is our authority is because it is the truth. It is true. Uh, there's a phrase in the early church that you don't necessarily need, need to know, but it's kind of fun to say, and it is that the Bible is the norm normans non normata. Okay? The norm normans non normata. And what that means is that it's the standard. The Bible is the standard. So a way of saying that in English, that, that's Latin, I believe. A way of saying that in English would be that the Bible is the standard that standardizes that cannot be standard. The, the Bible is the standard that standardizes that cannot be standardized. Okay? 
The non-remind is non-remind. The standard that standardizes that cannot be standardized. What that means is the Bible is the, is the measuring rod, right? The Bible is the standard. And so you measure everything else by it, and you don't measure it by anything else, right? When I was, uh, when I was younger, we, I remember my dad building a fence in our, in our, um, in our yard, and, and the first thing he did was he cut a board, and he cut it to the right length, and then he took a magic marker, and he wrote pattern on that board. And then from then on, from then forward, we didn't have to measure anymore. We just took that board, laid it on top of the others, and made a mark and, and cut it to match that one, right? Because that was the standard length of the board that we were going to use for this fence. That way, every board was the same length. We didn't have to uh, make sure we read the measuring tape the right way every time. We didn't have to do those kind of things. We just laid that board on top of it, mark, made a mark, and then we cut the end off to make it the same length, right? Well, that board was the standard or was the pattern, and it, it was the board that measured everything else, right? How, how do we decide if any other board was the right length? Well, whether it matched that first board or not. And if it did, then it was the right length. If it didn't, then it wasn't the right length. And there wasn't any way to decide if that board was measured up or not because that board was the measurer, right? And the Bible's the same way. The Bible is the standard that everything else is measured against and, and, and nothing else measures, measures it. Um, in, the, in the history of, of the church, especially here, here lately, in the, in the 20th century or so, there have been two words that, that have been important. Um, and, and, and they're a little bit confusing, to be honest with you, and, and different people mean some different things by them. Um, but the, the first word is that the Bible is inerrant. Inerrant. I-N-E-R-R-A-N-T. Okay? And what inerrancy means is that everything the Bible says is true. Everything the Bible says is true. Okay? Now, it, that does not mean that everything in the Bible is reported with exact detail, right? There may be some places in the Bible where we're counting groups of people, and, you know, so Jesus fed the 5,000, right? Well, does that mean that, that there, there weren't 400 or 4,999 there, or maybe 5,002 there? It could be that that 5,000 is just a round number, right? And, and, so, and, and so everything that the Bible presents is true. That doesn't mean it gives everything in exact detail. Now, it, it could be that there were exactly 5,000 uh, people there, or 5,000 men there representing 5,000 families, right? But, but the point is that the Bible doesn't have to be um, detailed to, to, the, to the exact details that, that we might try to hold it to sometimes, right? If, if, if the Bible gives a measurement, that measurement might be rounded off, right? But, and so, it, so everything the Bible says is absolutely true, right? But it's the way that we use language in, in normal everyday life. If you tell me that it's, you know, 70 degrees outside today, well, I'm not going to come back and call you a liar if it's 69.6 degrees outside, right? Because I understand how, how language works, I understand how you're using language, right? And, and the Bible uses human language that way as well. But everything the Bible says is, is true. Um, it also doesn't mean, or it also does mean, that all the details that are given in a particular situation are true, right? So everything the Bible says is true. All the details that are given are true. But it does not mean that the Bible necessarily gives us all the details, right? There could be some things that are left out. Everything it does say is true, it doesn't mean that it tells us everything there is to know, right? You understand what I'm saying? So it does mean that everything the Bible says about a, about a subject, about an event, about a person is absolutely true, um, even if that is not everything there is to know about that person, right? David had some, had some daughters, presumably, that we don't know their names. That doesn't mean the Bible's not true because it doesn't tell us their names, right? 
We know some of his son's names. We may not even know all of his son's names. But everything the Bible says is true, even if it doesn't tell us everything there, there might be. So, so the Bible's inerrant, meaning it, that everything, it, everything within the pages of the Bible are, are truth. The Bible's also in, infallible. And that word is spelled I-N-F-A-L-L-I-B-L-E, infallible. And again, diff, some, some different people use these words in, in, in different ways. But inerrancy means everything the Bible says is true. Infallible means the Bible is incapable of not being true. It's incapable of, of not being true. So God cannot lie, right? God cannot lie. And so um, if, if the word of God were to affirm something that was not true, then it would not be the word of God. Okay? There are passages that talk about this. Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. There's other passages like that. So inerrancy means the Bible is true. Infallibility means it's impossible for it not to be true. Okay? So because the Bible is infallible, then we can be assured that it's inerrant, right? God cannot tell a lie. God has written the Bible, therefore the Bible is completely true. Okay, so the words of Scripture are, are truth. And then the words of Scripture are self-authenticating, okay? And we talked about this a lot last night, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I've, I've even written out all the notes there for you on your, on your page so you don't have to fill any blanks in because, again, we've already gone over this last night. So the... the um, Conclusion of this point is that, that because the words of God are God, are, the words of Scripture are God's words, because the words of Scripture are inspired by God, because the words of Scripture are truth, because the words of, of Scripture are self-authenticating, the Bible is our authority. The Bible is our authority. So whatever it says is, is true, and we stand on that. Whatever it is against, we ought to be against. Right? Whether that's something in, in our own lives, especially if it's something in our own lives or if it's something in, in, in lives of others. Right? The Bible's our authority, so we stand on the Bible. What do we believe about any given issue? Well, let's go look, see what the Bible says, because it's our authority. Okay? So the Word of God is our uh, authority. The, the second thing I want to talk about is the, the clarity of God's Word. Okay? So it's our authority. Peter's already said there's some things in it that are hard to understand, right? So can we. Uh, can we understand the Bible? Can we really understand the Bible? Well, again, uh, that passage there in 2 Peter chapter 3 that we already read where Peter says there's some things in Paul's words that are, or Paul's letters that are hard to understand. He says that the ignorant twist them as they do the other scriptures. Okay? So, so a couple of points about that. There are some things that are, that are difficult in the scriptures. Right? There are some things that are difficult in the scriptures, but the majority of scripture can be understood by, uh, by all people. The majority of scripture is not hard to understand. Um, another point is that the overall storyline of the scripture is easy to understand, right? God created the world. Uh, men and women fell into sin. That sin had consequences. God uh, called a specific people that he was going to redeem to live a certain way in the world as a witness to his glory. Those people failed. God was merciful and, and, and faithful to them and forgiving to them over and over and over and over and over again. He sent his son Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, was raised from the dead. He undid the effects of the fall. And, and even now, those things are working out in time, and we're looking forward to him coming back where that'll be completely finished and sin will be completely done away with. The overall storyline of Scripture is, is easy to understand. Um, another point about this is, is think, think about who the Bible was written to, right? Who, who did God write the Bible to? Who did Paul write his letters to? Who did Peter write his letters to? 
He wrote them to churches, right? He wrote them to regular people, like just like you and me. He didn't write them to, 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 to Bible scholars that are sitting in, in offices and teaching classes and writing books and, and those kind of things, right? He, he didn't write it to be understood and to be examined by, by, by that type of, uh, of scrutiny, okay? Now, that stuff is good, right? I'm not saying anything bad about, about Bible scholars and, and all that kind of stuff. I love that. I, I read those books and all that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is you don't have to have that degree of, of knowledge of the Greek language or the Hebrew language or, or whatever to understand the Bible. The Bible was written to regular, everyday people just like, just like you and me. Okay? And then let's think about what Peter says exactly in 2 Peter to begin with. He says that it's difficult, right? He says there's some things in Paul's letters that are difficult to understand. He doesn't say they're impossible to understand. He says that they're difficult to understand. And so, yeah, maybe there's some places where the Bible's difficult to understand, but it's not impossible for us to understand. And that's not an excuse for us not to understand it. Just because there's some hard, hard things in the Bible, that means that we should study more and pray more and, and, and seek the Holy Spirit's leadership more to, to try to understand those things. Okay? So he says it's hard, not, not, not impossible. And then he also says that they twist them to their own destruction. Right? He says there's some things in Paul's letters that are difficult to understand that, the, that, that unholy or unrighteous men twist to their own destruction as they do the other, other scriptures. And so that means that they're, they're, they're culpable for twisting Paul's, letter, Paul's words, right? They're, they're responsible for that. So, there's, so, so it's true that it's hard for them to understand, but one reason it's hard for them to understand is because they're trying not to understand it, right? They're twisting those words, and, and they're, they don't want it to mean what it, what it means. And so they're, they're, they're culpable for that. They're, they're, um, they have some, some blame for that. They have some responsibility for that. Okay, so yes, there are some hard places in the Bible, but generally speaking, the Bible itself is easily understood. Um, generally speaking, the Bible itself gives us understanding, right? Let's look at a couple passages real, real quickly here. Uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, if I can turn there, says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The testimony of the, of the Lord is sure. Making wise the, the simple. And then another psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 130. Says something to the same effect. If I can get my pages separated. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So what should we do if we are reading the Bible and we have, are having a difficult time understanding it? Well, one thing we should do is we should, we should pray that the Holy Spirit would, would enlighten us, pray that, pray that God would, would help us with that. There's some other things we're going to talk about in a second, but one thing we should do if we're reading the Bible and we have a hard time understanding it is we should keep reading it, right? Because the Bible itself gives us wisdom. The Bible itself makes wise the, the simple, okay? And so one thing we should do is keep reading it. So can we really understand the Bible? My answer is, is yes. There may be some difficult parts. There may be some, some parts that are hard to understand, but overall, generally speaking, yes, we can understand the Bible. The second question along these lines, though, is can we understand the Bible on our own? Can we understand the Bible on our, on our own? And my answer to that would be absolutely not. We cannot understand the Bible on our own. And, and here's what I mean by that. If you have your Bibles, turn to, to, Second Corinthians, or to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then look at verse, verse 14. Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So can we understand the Bible on our own? No. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that doesn't mean that we're not able, that someone who's not a believer in Christ and doesn't have the Holy Spirit can pick up the Bible and can read and understand what the words are saying, but it does mean that they, they're not going to understand the meaning of and the purpose of the, the word. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with that. In John chapter 16, verse 13 there, it says that the Holy Spirit guides us into, into all, all truth. Okay? So a couple things here. First, the Bible can be understood by all people who read it seeking God's help because the Spirit is, is working to overcome the effects of sin. Sin affects the way that we think and the way that we understand things, the way that we think about things, and the Holy Spirit can overcome that in our, in our lives. Uh, another thing is um, that, so we need the help of the Holy Spirit, and then another help that we have available to us is that, that weaknesses and misunderstandings um, and, and things of that nature as we're reading the Scriptures can be counteracted by reading and studying within the community of the local church. Okay, it can be th those things can be helped by reading it and studying it and thinking through the Bible within the community of the local church. Even as we've already mentioned, these passages I've got on there: First Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians. Not all the Bible is this way, um, but but much of the New Testament, especially, is written not to individuals but to local congregations, right? And it's been and it was written for the purpose of being read among local congregations. So, is the Bible understandable? Yes, we can understand it. It's for the, there, there may be some things in it that are difficult, but for the most part, it's easily understood. For the most part, the storyline can be understood. Um, when we don't understand it, oftentimes that's our own fault, and it's because of sin that, 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 that's getting in the way, because we don't want it to say what it says. But, but can we understand it? Absolutely. Can we understand it by ourselves? No, we need the help of the Holy Spirit revealing the Word to us, and we need the, the help of the, of the other believers and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ to help us do that. Okay? The next point is, is, is the Bible necessary? The necessity of, of God's word. I know we're talking about a lot of stuff here and we're going kind of fast, but that's okay. Um, it's, it's necessary so we can get finished. Um, but, but, so, but just to kind of recap, right? so far we've got the Bible is our authority, right? The Bible is our authority for these reasons. We've got the Bible is, um, the Bible is, is, is understandable, it's clear for these reasons. And then here we've got the Bible is... Uh, is the Bible necessary? Okay, so, so number one, the first point under this point is that the Bible is not necessary. Okay? I know, that's a weird look, isn't it, Miss Linda? That's a weird thing to say, but just hear me out. Okay? Number one, the Bible is not necessary for a few things. Okay? First of all, the Bible, the Bible is not necessary for knowing that God exists. And we've already mentioned this a little bit. The Bible is not necessary for knowing that God exists. Turn, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Um, Psalm 19, we've already quoted, quoted that or, or referenced that passage. In Psalm 19, remember the psalmist says that the glory, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? The earth dis displays the work of his hands. And so there's some things that we can know about God from, from that. But look at Romans chapter 1. And look down at verse, um, look down at verse 18. We'll start there. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their right unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, so that word suppress is important. That means they, 
had some awareness of the truth, some knowledge of the truth, and, and that, that knowledge, that awareness was suppressed, right? It's not that they don't know the truth. It's that they're suppressing the truth. And then listen to what he says in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. He's not talking about believers. He's talking about people that are, that are not believers. What can be known about God is plain to them because, it doesn't say because God wrote it to them in the Bible. It says what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And here's how he did it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay? So first of all, the Bible is not necessary to know that God exists. Um, God has revealed himself in, in, in creation. Okay? The Bible, the, God has revealed himself in, in creation. It's also, uh, the, second, the second thing there, it's also not necessary for knowing that God's, uh, God's character or God's moral laws, knowing some things about God. Okay? It's not necessary for knowing that God exists, and it's even not necessary, necessary for knowing some things about God. As we just read, it says his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, those things have been clearly seen in creation. And so we can look at creation, and we can see that God is a, uh, is a provider, right? Because there's food for the animals to eat, and there's things there for, for us. Their creation provides for us, and if, if the creator made it, then the creator, by extension, is providing for us, right? We can see that creation is orderly. And so we know that the creator must be orderly if he put that order together. Um, and, and so there's, there's all kinds of things that we can know about God from, from creation. So number one, the Bible is not necessary. But number two, the Bible is necessary. Okay? So the Bible is not necessary for some things, but for other things, the Bible is necessary. And, and for one thing, the Bible is necessary for knowing the way of salvation. People can know that God exists from creation, but people are not going to find the, the way of salvation from looking at nature, from looking at creation. Okay, so there's some passages here. We're not going to look all of them up, but we'll, we'll look up some of them. John 14, 6, I think we're familiar with, right? It says that no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says that. No one comes to the Father but by me. In uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this is uh, Peter preaching, I believe. And Peter says that there is salvation in no other name other than Jesus, Right? And, and so we have to know about Jesus in order to have salvation. And how do we know about Jesus? From the Bible, right? We, we can't look at creation and see that God sent his Savior to die for our sins. We can know some things about God, but we're not going to find out that God sent his, Savior to die, sent his Son to die for our sins just by looking at creation. We need the Bible for that. The Bible is, is necessary for that. Look at Romans chapter 10. We're already in Romans, if you're, if you're still there. Turn to Romans chapter 10, and let's, let's read verse... Um, starting at verse, verse 13. Verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? The way of salvation. Call on the name of, uh, of the Lord. Call on the name of, of Jesus and you'll be saved. And then verse 14 says, But how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, they, obviously they can't, right? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Again, obviously they, you can't do that. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Okay? And so in order for us to know the way of salvation, we need someone to come to us and tell us the way of salvation. We need someone to come to us and preach to us the good news. Well, where's the good news found? In the Bible, right? So no one's ever going to come to faith in Jesus. No one's ever going uh, to believe what the gospel says and, and, and be saved unless they either read the Bible for themselves or someone else tells them what the Bible says or they, read, they hear some type of recording of the Bible or something like that. But the Bible's necessary for knowing the way of salvation. Okay? 
Another thing the Bible is necessary for, the Bible is necessary for spiritual growth. The Bible is necessary for spiritual growth. Okay? Read, uh, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 4. This is a passage that, that you're probably familiar with. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is um, being tempted here by, by Satan. And Satan tempts him to turn these stones into bread. Remember, Jesus has been fasting now for 40 days, and he's hungry. And the, Satan comes and asks him to turn the, bread into sto- turn the stones into bread so that he has something to eat. And in verse 4, Jesus says, uh, but he answered, it is written. And he's quoting this from the Old Testament, right? He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? So just like we need bread to, for, to, to maintain our physical life, we need the words of God to maintain our spiritual life. Okay, so the Bible is necessary for, for spiritual growth. Okay, look at, uh, turn to the Old Testament, look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse, uh, verses 46 and 47. He said to them, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Verse 47 says, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. The words that that we receive from God, the words of scripture that, that are God's words are no empty words. They are our very life. The Bible is necessary for knowing the way of salvation. It's necessary for gaining life to begin with. And it's also necessary for spiritual growth. It's necessary for sustaining life. Okay? And then finally, look at 1 John chapter 5. Toward the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 5. The Bible is also necessary for knowing God's will. For knowing God's will. Chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So what does God want us to do? How does God want us to live? How does God want us to treat other people? How does God want us to think about other people? How does God want us to think about ourselves? Right? All these questions that we could ask, what does God want from us? Well, how do we discern and know what God wants from us? He's told us in his, in his word. He's told us in the Bible. And so the Bible is necessary for knowing these things. It's necessary for knowing God's will for, for us. It's necessary for knowing what God would have us to do and how he would have us to live and how he would have us to think. Okay? So the Bible is not necessary for knowing that God exists, but it is necessary for knowing the way of salvation, for, for, for spiritual growth. It's necessary for knowing God's will. The Bible is necessary for, for these things, right? So if God had never given us his word, if he had never revealed his, his word to us, we would know he existed, right? We would know that he, that he exists, and yet we wouldn't be able to find our way to him. We would know that he exists. We would even know that judgment is coming. There's the, we could go back to Romans 1 and see that. We could know that, that judgment's coming because we're suppressing the truth that we do know. We know that there is a God, and we ought to be worshiping him, um, and, and yet if we don't have the Bible, we don't know how to worship him correctly, right? And, and this is the situation. Marcus didn't get to it. On, on, he ran out of time earlier today. But on the bottom of his, of his outline there, it had, um, 
the, the need for translations in, into other languages, right? And this is one of, the, one of the reasons that it's so important to have missionaries like Marcus and his family and others that are going overseas for the purpose of translating the Bible into other languages. Because if there's somebody who doesn't have the word in their language, they're in that very position where they know that there's a God. They may be trying to worship God in some ways through idols or, or, or different things. Um, and so they might be making an, an effort to worship God, but they're not worshiping God the right way. They're not worshiping God effectively. They're not believing in Jesus and worshiping God through, through Jesus. And unless someone comes and preaches the word to them, unless someone gives them the word in their own language, they won't be able to do that. They're in a, they're in a doomed situation. The final thing I want to talk about before we get into our question time is um, the sufficiency of God's word. So God's word is our authority. God's word is, is understandable. God's word is, is necessary for some, for some important things. And then, and then I want to talk about the, the Bible being sufficient, okay? And I, w- I would think that, that this is um, practically kind of the way that we live. This, this question, this point is, is the one that we struggle with sometimes, believing and, and living as if the Bible is, is sufficient for us. I didn't bring it. I should have, but I, I didn't think to this morning. Um, but have you, you all have seen that, those, those books or that movie, um, Heaven is for Real? Remember that the little boy that went to heaven and all that kind of stuff? I don't know if you all like that book or not, but I, I hate that book, okay? And here's why. Not, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I don't know if it happened or not. I don't, I don't, I'm getting put all that over the side. I don't, I don't care about that. What I hate about that book is the title of it. The book is called Heaven is for Real, right? And the way that we know heaven is for real is how? No, that's true, but that's not what the book says. Yeah, the point the book is making, even by having it titled Heaven is for Real, is the way we know that heaven is for real is because this little boy went up to heaven and came back, and he's telling us about it. He's giving us this eyewitness account, right? No, the Bible is sufficient. We know that heaven is real because the Bible says so. If a little boy goes to heaven and comes back and tells us that there's something in there the Bible says is not true, well, which one of those cases do we take? Is it the Bible that we stand with, or is it the, the, the person's account that was there as, as an eyewitness? I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But, but not really. Turn, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2, uh, I'm sorry, not, not 2 Timothy. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit out of order. 2, 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay? And, and keep, that, keep that idea in mind of this, this boy that, that went to heaven and, uh, and was there. Look at, look, at, look at what's happening here. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and here's the question I want, to, I want us to think about as we're, as we're reading this passage and, and thinking through it. What is the relationship of the Bible and our own experience? What's the relationship between the Bible and our own experiences? What's the relationship between the Bible and, and this kids or these other people that, that have said they've gone to heaven and come back? What's the relationship there, right? Listen to this, this passage. Uh, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his testimony. So Peter says he was an eyewitness, right? He's a, he's a, he's, he's a disciple. He was there with Jesus. He's an eyewitness himself. He's in the situation this little boy was that, that went to heaven, right? He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he tells about one of these eyewitness encounters. He says in verse 17, for when, when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born from him to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am um, well pleased. It says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
Okay, what's, what's Peter talking about? What event in the life of Jesus is he talking about here that he was an eyewitness to? The transfiguration, right? The transfiguration. Um, that, that's when the voice of God, remember there's two times when, when we, in the New Testament where we see the voice of God audibly speaking and, and de- declaring that Jesus is his son. One is at his baptism, but here he says we were on the mountain, and so that makes it sound like it was the Mount of Transfiguration when this happened. Remember that's when Jesus went up on the mountain, and um, uh, was it Moses and Elijah were there, and, and they appeared to him, and he went over and spoke with them, and he was dazzlingly white, and his, he was there glorified, and, and Peter and James and John were there with him. Peter says, I was there. Right? I witnessed that. I was an eyewitness to that account. And then look what he says in verse 19. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter says, Peter was an eyewitness, right? He saw it for himself. We, you know, we have the phrase, seeing is believing. Our, our news stations are eyewitness news, right? Because that's the, the, the best evidence you can ever have is eyewitness, see it for yourself, right? But Peter says we have something better than that. Peter says, I know that Jesus is who he says he is because I was there and I saw him meet with Moses, meet with Elijah, turn to this uh, glorious figure. I know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is really who he said he is because of my own experience. But I know even more because the word says so. He says that the Bible is even more authoritative, more sufficient, more, um, more, more trustworthy than his own experiences are. And we know that, right? Think, think back to something that happened to you 30 years ago. Are, you, is, are your details going to be exactly correct the way that they really happened? You know, we have, we have these psychologists, psychiatrists talk about false memories where we can, you can even kind of manipulate things and create false memories in people. Right? Think about even someone that witnesses a crime and, and you interview four or five, six different people and, 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 and their, their stories are, are not always the same and they get details that are wrong. Right? And they identify different, you know, the wrong people as, the, as being the criminal in, in, in uh, lineups and things like that. Peter says, yeah, I saw it. I know without a doubt, there's no doubt in my mind at all that Jesus is who he says he is because I saw it for myself. I was there. Right? But we have something better than that. And oftentimes I think we, we get, we kind of have the feeling where we wish we were there, right? It would have been great to, to have been one of the disciples. It would have been great to have walked with Jesus on a, on a daily basis. And, um, you know, remember in, in the Gospel of John, John says that, that all these things happened and he wrote them all down for a specific purpose. But so many other things happened that if he had all the books in the world, it wouldn't be enough space to write down everything that, that happened, right? And everything that Jesus said. And, and sometimes I think we get the idea, I get the idea, maybe we do, that it, man, it would have been so neat to have been a disciple and heard Jesus say the things that didn't make it into the Bible and see Jesus do the things that didn't make it into the Bible, right? It would have been so, so awesome to have been an eyewitness and been involved in that. And Peter says, I was involved in that. I was an eyewitness to that. And he's, Peter says that we are in a better position than he was in because we had the Bible and he didn't have the Bible, right? We had the Bible and he did, did not have the Bible. In 2 Timothy 3.16, that passage that we're so familiar with, that the, the word of God is, is, is breathed out, the, the word is breathed out by God and, and profitable for all these things, remember? What is it profitable for? For teaching, for preaching, right? And it's also sufficient to equip the man of God for every good work, right? We don't need something other than the Bible to do that. The Bible does that. The Holy Spirit working through the Bible does that, right? We, we can also, this is kind of a parenthesis for a minute, but we can also get the impression that the Bible is some kind of like magic book, right? 
where the where it's it's powerful. And I don't want to downplay the Bible at all. This is a conference on the Bible, so I want to up you know uphold the Bible. But it's really the Holy Spirit working through the Bible, right? There's nothing special about the ink that's on this page. There's nothing nothing special about the about the paper that the pages are made out of. What's special about the Bible? What makes the Bible sufficient? What makes the Bible authoritative is that it's the Holy Spirit working through the Bible in the lives of His people, right? And and, and Paul says that that the Bible is sufficient to equip us for for every good work. There are passages like Proverbs 30 that's on your sheet there um, that, that that command us, that tell us, that warn us. Even there's there's passages in in Revelation that that warn us not to add anything to the revealed Word of God, right? And, and why would we want to? We don't need to. The Bible is sufficient in itself. What God has, has revealed to us is what God decided that we need to know, right? Now, there may be some things in the Bible where we might find ourselves sometimes thinking, man, I wish God hadn't said it that way, or I wish God had said, had said it a different way, or I wish God had left that part out, right? But no, God gave us what he wants us to have, and God gave us what he thinks it is good for us to have. And so, so that another parenthesis, maybe, that what that means is that, that we should study the Bible. We should learn the Bible. We should know the Bible. We should want to know what the Bible says. We shouldn't have pet, you know, our, our favorite pet books. And, 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 and there, there, if there's something revealed in the Bible, we shouldn't think, well, I don't need to think about that, you know, if, if it's the end times. Well, I don't want to study it on the end times too much because people get off the rails on that and that's just kind of go crazy. And so I'm just going to forget about that, right? Well, no, we want to keep it in perspective, but God revealed that to us. And so it's good for us to know that. Some difficult things like the doctrine of, uh, of election or things like that, that that we talk about some and have been divisive even in, in the church in some ways. There, there, there's some people whose, whose response is, well, let, we're not going to talk, talk about that. I don't want to think about that, don't want to talk about that, don't even want to consider that. But if God gave it to us, it, he, he determined that it was good for us to know and good for us to think about and, and, and good for us to, to study, right? And, and so we should, we should submit to, to God in that um, Okay, so, so here's, here's our conclusion about the Bible being sufficient. The Bible contains everything that God determined we need to know to become a Christian, to live as a Christian, and to grow as a Christian. The Bible, determ- the Bible contains everything that God determined we need to know to become a Christian, to live as a Christian, and to grow as a Christian. Okay, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use other, other means as well, right? God reveals himself through creation, God uses his, his church, God uses, um, you know, pastors and, 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 and different church leaders, but the Bible is our authority, and the Bible is necessary for these things, and the Bible is sufficient to lead us into the people that God would have us to be, okay? So we should commit ourselves to, to, to knowing it, to reading it, to studying it, right? We shouldn't rely on other people to, to kind of know it for us and tell us what it says, right? We should commit to knowing it ourselves. We should, we should um, use it in our lives to, to, um, to, to judge what we're taught, right? We should use it in our lives to lead us to, to live in, in, in the ways that it calls us to. And then we should also be thankful that God has given it to us. We should be thankful that God has, um, ha- has given us um, pastors and, and church leaders that are committed to preaching the Bible to us, right? If Josh Green were to come up here on a Sunday morning and just tell us kind of his um, five lessons for living a good life. That might be that might be helpful and good in some ways. He seems to have lived a pretty good life so far, and so maybe we could learn from the way that he's lived his life, right? And that, that might be helpful to us. But it wouldn't make us more like Jesus, right? And it wouldn't make us. It, it wouldn't take people that are dead in their sins and make them alive to God. It wouldn't take. It wouldn't. It wouldn't lead us to 
necessarily love Jesus more, become better servants of him, better followers of him, right? We commit ourselves to the Bible because it's our authority. What it says is true. We, we base our lives on it. It's, it's necessary for these things. It's understandable in, the, in these ways, and it's sufficient for all that we need in, in Christ. All right? All right. If you have questions, um, write those down, and we'll come around and take those up just in a second. We've got about 20 minutes left, I think. And so we're going to, uh, I think Jake's going to come down to help us with this part, and we're going to uh, talk about and try to hopefully answer some questions that you guys might have. So give us just a, just a second. If you have more questions, um, we'll bring, bring that basket around. We're going to bring some.